Those that have a lot of cash are the well-run companies. Those that are really tied on cash, there was an issue there at some point. We tell all of our clients that you want to have at least 10% of your annualized revenue in the bank at all times. So if you're a million-dollar business, annualized business, you want to have at least $100,000. In reality, you want to have between 10 to 30%, because 10% is generally makes up about two months' worth of expenses. 30% is about six months. So when you do the math and you're a service-based company, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Not exactly, but very close. Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole, or what we call spend culture. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Spend Culture Stories podcast. This is another week of COVID-19. I'm sure everybody's staying safe at home and enjoying some time with your families. But we have another really amazing guest that we have for you today. Today, we have Jody Grundon. He is the co-founder and CEO of Summit CPA Group. Jody, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Danny. We always love talking to CFOs and CPA leaders that have already been working from home for a really, really long time since now a lot of times people are starting to get into this work from home rhythm, but they not might not be used to it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been working from home for quite a while now. Yeah, yeah. We're actually since 2013. So this is going on our seventh year. Wow. And Summit CPA Group, can you tell us a little bit more about your firm and how you're a distributed CPA group? Yeah, sure. We started out as a brick and mortar uh, company back in 2002. It was my now business partner, Adam Hale, and myself. I started out really with no clients and just kind of did the normal accounting stuff, you know, the write-up work, tax work, you know, as we we're picking clients up. And uh, we just wanted to do things differently than than what uh, was traditional at that time. Traditional at that time was wearing a suit and tie all the time. Traditional was billing by the hour. Traditional was like working a bazillion hours during our tax season. And we thought, you know what, I don't want to run a firm like that because my values are a lot different than that. You know, I coach my kids in hockey and hockey, if you know, is during the winter, which leads into tax time. And so I really couldn't work that many hours if I was going to travel around the U.S. and Canada with the kids playing hockey. So it was one of those deals that I had to make a decision. I knew public accounting really wasn't for me because uh, it, it had those long hours. I tried the corporate world for a while and that wasn't for me because it was too boring for me. For me, it was like Groundhog Day, you know, doing the same thing over and over <laughs> again. So I had to do something different and I thought, well, start in my own practice. That should be the, the way and I can kind of control things. And uh, when we started, I realized pretty quickly that I was going to be like the hardest and longest working person on the team. You know, I put a lot of hours in those first few years trying to really get things going. And uh, we started doing flat fee work, you know, which we were one of the first uh, firms to ever do that, uh, which is kind of cool. We you know, about put us out of business doing so. We just didn't know how to do it. So it was one of those deals where we thought we could do things faster and quicker than everyone else. And so we put a, a flat fee on it. And then we find out that we were way off on it. And, and we're kind of stock, you know, in that agreement type of a deal. So we kind of fine-tuned, fine-honed our service over time and tried to figure that out. The other thing was that we wanted to, you know, be as casual as possible, which was without the suit and tie. And we did that from day one. And then uh, uh, working the bazillion hours, you know, we told ourselves, hey, we were going to be the only two that's going to work more than 45 hours during busy season. 
And uh, the funny thing about that was we started that back in 2002 and through today, our team typically does not work more than 45 hours a week throughout the entire year. So we, we've really kind of worked on that one and, and, found, and fine-tuned that one a lot throughout that process. So we started off kind of different. We kind of figured things out. Uh, we start, we turned our tax return clients initially into monthly write-up clients. And then we turned those monthly write-up clients into weekly clients. And the uh, way that we did that was we offered forecasting as a huge part of our service back in 2004. And clients really, really love that. And I'm not just talking about the forecasting where you're just looking at the income side of things. I'm talking about the forecasting where you looked at the balance sheet side of things, you know, where the cash position was going to be for these clients. And so Mm -hmm. uh, the big thing was the clients really wanted to know how and what they were doing, how that impacted cash going forward. And so we really made that into our you know, made that into our service, made that the actual focal point of our service. And we started the uh, concept of virtual CFO service back in 2004. And it really picked up where clients just loved it. They loved it so much that they started referring their competition to us, which was kind of, kind of strange. Because really, because they hung out with each other, the clients did, you know, they ran in the same circles for the most part. And they're like, well, hey, this firm really helped me out, kind of see the picture, you know, see when to hire people, fire people, really help make those decisions. Why don't you guys try them out too? And and it was kind of a unique thing. We started picking clients up that way pretty easily. And then over the, I'd say probably the first from 2004 through 2011, we were kind of, uh, you know, really picking anybody up that came to the picture. You know, if, if they were a business owner, we were their firm, that type of a deal. In 2011, we picked up our very first creative agency. And it was one of those things that uh, I have a strong passion for marketing. And when we picked up that agency, it was like, wow, this is uh, something pretty cool. And they were in Rhode Island. And we were at that point in Fortin, Indiana. So we knew it was going to be difficult driving there or them coming here to meet and provide our virtual CFO service. So we thought, how can we do this? You know, how can we really, truly make this virtual? And we did. We came up with a concept meeting on a weekly basis with that client. We did video conferencing and video conferencing at that point was uh, pretty new or newer and, mm-hmm. you know, your mouth would be moving and your voice would come second, you know, that type of a deal. <laughs> and we, we just kind of fine-tuned it and we did so well that the same thing happened with that company that happened with our other ones where they started really recommending their base of their competition, you know, people they hung out with. And it just went from one to another to another. And, and eventually we had about 10 different companies on the creative agency space. And we thought this is really a niche that we really, really like. We started really kind of comparing one to the other and really kind of helping everybody out without, you know, of course, having any kind of uh, divulging kind of secrets or trade secrets or anything. We just kind of, hey, here's what we're seeing type of a thing. And we got uh, asked to do a, um, you know, lead a couple conferences that was in front of a bunch of creative agencies. And we, we started doing that and they asked us to come back and do more. And so we started actually presenting and teaching all these creative agencies how to be profitable. That's amazing. And uh, it was pretty cool. And once we started doing that and really focused on that niche, our company really blew up. You know, back in 2000 and I'd say 11, I think we had probably 18 people roughly at that point. And uh, it's grown so much that we're uh, 55-ish people now with, uh, we'll do about $7 million in revenue. So we've really grown dramatically uh, from that time. And it was all completely focusing on a niche. 
And the, the cool thing about that was that, that, that niche, that very first client that I was telling you about in the creative agency space, uh, they were one of the very first ever distributed companies, you know, the companies that were completely wow. virtual and they were virtual from the very beginning. And the cool thing about it was that the uh, first two years that we worked with them, we learned probably as much about how to run a distributed company than they did as how to manage their own company through the virtual CFO service. And I got this bright idea that I thought, you know what, we can do this. We can go virtual. There's no other accounting firm out there that's doing this. You know, well, let's, let's be the first and let's, let's get this to work. And so I, I was pretty excited, had this whole great idea. And by that point, we're working virtual with a lot of our clients. And I went to the uh, conference room, uh, sat in front of everyone and said, hey, guys, we're going to go virtual. And it was like <laughs> uh, they're waiting for the punchline. <laughs> it was like dead silence, not the kind of reaction like, I thought what? I was going to get. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I heard from every one of them, oh, we can't do that. There's no way. That won't work. You know, and then they gave me every reason in the, in the world why it wouldn't work. You know, people can't collaborate. You know, people, you know, the Internet doesn't work really well. They can't work from home. All these different things that, you know, why they couldn't do it and the excuses that probably everybody in this call has had until just yeah. this recent uh, last few weeks, why it can't work. And then they found out pretty quickly that it can because what I did, I, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to lose my 18-person firm here with this concept. I'm going to go ahead and, and redo my entire office space. I'm going to tear out all the walls. I'm going to make these, this a really cool place to live in, or, you know, basically because that's what you're doing when you're working there. You're living there for most of the day anyways. And yeah. um, I kicked everybody out. I'm like, okay, everybody, out of the <laughs> office. Wow. I'm going to do some remodeling. Yeah, so I spent about a million dollars in construction costs. Really made the offices really cool. Put this really cool fish tank between mine and the front uh, lobby there. And uh, 250 gallon fish tanks was really nice, nice saltwater oh, fish. I did amazing. the uh, really fancy conference rooms and, and all the offices had TVs and stuff. And so it was really cool. And in that six weeks, they like a lot of people right now are finding out it's not that difficult working from home. And uh, they actually enjoyed it. It was uh, one of those things that it was one person after another came to me and said, you know what, do you mind if I just work from home? You know, great idea. And it's like, sure. And so then after about 12 people came to me and said that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then it was, you know, then it was like my partner's like, you know what, Jody, I, I didn't think I could do it, but I love working at home. You mind if I work from home too? I'm like, okay, this is, you know, are they punking me here? You know, what's going on? And uh, they, effect. yeah, they weren't, you know, I only had like four <laughs> to five people that said, Hey, I, I just can't do it because of various reasons. I'm like, okay. And so I built an office for 30 people and we had five people in it for about a year and a half, two years. And it was like ghost town. I told everybody, it's like, heck, I would rather spend the hundred thousand dollars and taking everybody to Hawaii than to, uh, you know, spend a, building up an office space. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how it went. And so, you know, now we have maybe two or three people that work actually in the office because I own the building. And that's the only reason. <laughs> Other than that, we would be working from home. Wow. But uh, they all figured it out and they, and they loved it. And they found out they're a lot more efficient doing so. And it was just one of those things that it was an idea. It was one of those innovative ideas, we thought. And then it just turned into uh, to something that worked out. And Forbes picked us up and, and named us for like one of the top 125 virtual firms or, or distributed companies back in, I can't remember when that was, 2015. Yeah, that's amazing. And it was like, wow, this is uh, kind of cool. And uh, because that article, we started getting applications one after another, which was another thing because when we were actually picking clients up, when I, when I mentioned going vertical and going to that vertical, uh, we started picking up, instead of picking up like one to four clients a, a year, 
we would pick up, shoot, it was like five, six, seven. The first month, there was like 11 clients in a month. We were picking up clients Whoa. that we, it was unreal. We were, demand was so high. We're like, oh my gosh, we'll never be able to keep this pace because we didn't have the staff to do it. And so then it's like, wow, what's going on next? And it just happened that that article in Forbes came out and uh, I was meeting with a client. I remember to this day, I never do this anymore. I, I shared my main screen and I learned never to share the, my main screen ever again <laughs> because, you know, the, the, what was on it? the notifications pop up, right? And so also oh. this, the Forbes article came out and it was one of those deals like, okay, and then all of a sudden a resume pops up on the right hand corner of my screen. And it was like, there was like a resume popping up every two seconds. And I'm not joking. There was probably 1500 resumes that came in within about a day and a half. And I thought I was being spammed. It was a constant pop, 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 you know, they're coming through. And with, with all of our team meetings with clients, we always have our uh, senior accountants always on with the CFO. So we've got two people in the meeting with the client. And uh, afterwards, she's like, man, do I have anything to worry about here? I mean, are you interviewing? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm interviewing, but not, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> and they were legitimate, really cool resumes, you know, resumes of people that I never thought in my wildest dreams we'd be able to hire. And so being distributed really That's kind awesome. of answered the key there. How am I going to find all these people in Fort Wayne, Indiana? Well, I'm not, you know, I don't have to anymore. You know, I've got the whole United States and the world to find the best people to do this job. And so it really kind of opened my eyes on what we could do. And uh, from there, we, we just started growing, you know, instead of uh, four clients a, a year, we pick up still to this day an average of two and a half clients a month. And so Wow. Uh, hire about eight eight people a year to kind of uh, keep pace with that type of service. And so it's really kind of blown up for us. That's really amazing. We always love hearing stories like this, Jody, where, um, you know, you're striving to be different and then that being different kind of pays off and it kind of changes the trajectory of your company and you become like a leader in this space. So I'm really glad that we're able to hear your story from your perspective. So for a lot of virtual CFO firms, they don't really know how to communicate this concept of kind of like working from home and also incorporating the right financial processes in order to make that happen. So what are some of the tips and tricks um, that you've been sharing with your clients to make sure that they're also prepared for the shift? Yeah, so I guess working from home, it's not a difficult process if you've got the right tools in place and the communications in place. I would say communication is by far the number one thing that we have to adjust to internally as well as external clients. You know, communicate, communicate, communicate. You know, I just spoke with a prospect just a few minutes ago, actually, and they said, hey, we're working with this great CFO, but it takes them a long time to respond. I go, is it normal for your team to respond two, three days later, even maybe even a week or two later about a question? that you thought was pretty important. And it's like, uh, no, that's not how that's supposed to be done. Even we folk tell all of our CFOs that, hey, you've got to respond back. Even if it's just simply, hey, I don't know the answer right now. I'll get back with you tomorrow by three o'clock. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. That is the response that every person deserves when, you know, when you ask a question. I don't care if they're a client or if they're internally with an employee, you know, employee-to-employee thing. Communication is really huge. And, we, and we, we make sure that that's essential. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, response time is like one of the biggest things that we focus on with our team. And then you do that through different mediums. You know, some people use the traditional email, you know, very few, you actually use the, the phone. That's kind of an archaic thing for us. But the majority of time we we actually communicate through video conferencing and that's been huge uh, internally and externally. Uh, so we use a 
uh, product uh, f called Sococo for our internal video conferencing. Then we use different products like uh, GoToMeeting or Zoom or Google Hangouts for external with clients. And we find that uh, by being on video, it's very easy to communicate and to make sure that clients understand. It's, it's something to do with that eye contact, you know, eye contact and facial yeah. expressions. You know, that can tell me if you actually understand what I'm saying or paying attention or, or whatever. And it just really forces a communication. So it makes it really nice. Internally with our own team, it's, it's great because I'm a very extroverted type person. And I feel like I talk to more people during the day working from home than I ever had uh, working from the office. And it's because everybody's there and you're seeing people and they're popping and popping out. And it's very rewarding on that end. And then with clients, again, they appreciate the fact that you can be there at a moment's notice, you know, versus uh, having to drive to their place or return a phone call or, you know, that type right. of thing there. You, know, you can pop on and be there. The key to that is you don't want the clients to overtake it, I guess, take advantage of the situation, which they, they very rarely do. You want to schedule specific times and have good cadences for the meetings and, you know, that sort of thing in order to make everything work well so that you're not interrupted, you know, 20 times during the day with 20 different clients, you know, that type of thing. So you've got to really, you know, set your processes in place and have strong processes in order for everything to work out. But I would say the number one thing is tools and the communication amongst the team for sure. So from a client's perspective, what are some of the challenges that they are facing right now during this shift to remote and also during COVID-19? Let's talk about like the financial processes. Yeah. So the biggest thing, obviously, for them is that, you know, hey, what do I do next? There's a lot of panic, uncertainty out there. And it's like me as a business owner, I don't want to make the wrong mistake because I not only have myself to look forward, you know, out for, but I've got 50 people, 30 people. You know, I only not only have the 30 people on my team, but I've got their spouses and maybe their kids. You know, maybe I'm responsible for 100 people and the actions that I make, you know, are going to determine what's next for them. And so there's a lot of pressure on that. So the biggest thing is that we have been meeting with these clients on a pretty much every other day, everyday basis type of thing, you know, just really helping them plan out, helping them forecast, helping them decide, you know, hey, once and if they do get these stimulus packages, you know, how's that going to play into going forward? Am I going to be able to keep my team for the next eight weeks, 12 weeks, 26 weeks? Now, what do I have to do to downsize? If I have to downsize, what do I have to do to make sure I, I don't just break even, but I actually have a profit margin because profit margins where, you know, how cash, you know, revolves, you need, you need a profit margin if you want to move cash, if you want to build cash, if you want to maintain cash. And so all these different things were really helping them out and being there. And that's, again, when it comes to the communication thing, you know, I spoke with the, you know, that prospect I mentioned earlier, you know, the, he, I, I asked him how things went with the uh, PPP, putting that together. He's like, well, they, they helped me out a little bit. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that means to me that they really didn't help out a whole lot. You know, whereas, with, <laughs> you know, you know, with our team, it's like, you know, hey, we're on every one of them, making sure that everything gets processed right, filing up with the banks as needed, you know, just going that extra step to really make sure that uh, the client's at ease. And then once that we know that they're at ease there, then, you know, really forecasting out and really kind of building out the game plan. You know, what if scenario one happens? You know, what if scenario two happens? What if scenario three and, and so forth? And then three, four days later, okay, what did happen? You know, what's happening now? Is there any changes to it? And just kind of being that sounding board for them, because again, they don't know finance for the most part. They a lot of times lucked into their business. I say that in a way that's, you know, you break away from a company, you become a contractor, you start building things up and now they've got employees and now they got more employees because they're doing so well. So it's kind of a lucked into type situation for a lot of, a lot of clients, I would say, including myself, you know, with that, they don't understand finances to the degree that we do. And so the key is they're just being that sounding board and 
being that, you know, where they can kind of vent a little bit, where they can kind of reason a little bit and then come away with that comfort feeling that, hey, I can get through this because what it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to just mind over matter for a lot of part. What can I do as a business owner to make sure that I'm making the right decisions and have that right tone for my for my team? Because again, when we're going through like a tough times like this, you know, the way that we react now tells us a lot about ourselves and tells our team a lot about ourselves. And we want to make sure that once we get out of this mess, the team's going to be like, hey, I really liked working for this company because the leader is the leader that I, you know, I want to, I want to be a part of. And that's kind of where it comes down to. Absolutely. And it, it's, it, it all comes back to just having that confidence and portraying that with the business owner and then to, to help them manage that decision, not make the decision for them, but help them make the decision. Because nine times out of 10, they know what that decision is. You're just helping them, providing the data, providing the analysis to make it correctly. So what are some of the things that you've seen between well-run companies versus a company that's not really prepared for this COVID-19? Yeah, it's pretty obvious at this point because uh, those that have a lot of cash are the well-run companies. Those that are really tight on cash, there was an issue there at some point. We tell all of our clients that you want to have at least 10% of your annualized revenue in the bank at all times. So if you're a million-dollar business, annualized business, mm-hmm. you want to have at least $100,000. In reality, you want to have between 10 to 30% because 10% is generally makes up about two months worth of expenses. 30% is about six months. So when you do the math and you're a service-based company, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Not exactly, but very close. But it gives the, it gives them something that they can actually, in their head, think, how much cash should I have on hand? And we mm-hmm. always tell them also, nice in addition to that, yeah, you want to have enough for taxes. So 40% of your net income, your forecasted net income should be, you know, moving through that tax account, you know, in the tax account, quarterly payments out of the tax account so that you're building up to where at the end of the year, if you if you really done a great job with your forecast, the amount at the end of the year should be the amount that they own taxes. So it should be a, a safety net for them. So we tell them, hey, have that t- 10%, have the 30%. In addition to that, we always tell them to have a line of credit, no matter if you use it or not, pay for it. It's like an insurance blanket. And then you want that to be roughly that 10% of annualized revenue or as much as the bank you know, will lend. A lot of times the bank won't lend, especially a service-based company if they don't have a lot of assets. So, But they will lend if, you have, if you're profitable and, and so forth. And so that's where that line of credit comes into play. So for the companies that don't have that now, you know, it's one of those things that they're, they're scrambling, they're trying to figure out. And a lot of times the decisions they're making are very emotionally driven um, because cash will do that mm-hmm. for you. If you have a lot of cash at this point, you're looking for opportunities. If you don't have a lot of cash, you're just looking to survive. And that's the big thing that we're seeing now. So those with cash are the ones that ran their business well. Now, what I do tell people also is that, hey, if you don't have cash right now and you make it through this, the first thing you should do is figure out what I need to do to build that cash reserve. You know, what can I do now to fine tune my company so that my company is in a position that it's actually profitable and it'll actually build cash. You know, it's not profitable, build cash, and I pull it out the back and buy a nice car with it. It's profitable, build cash and keep building cash. I at least have that 10% there, you know, that type of thing. And so that's where we as business owners, the strong business owners really have to make that choice. Maybe we ran a great company and now we've got the opportunity to do things with this money that we've got that we build up and we're not in such a hurt hurt position where we can't uh, we don't have to let people go immediately because we've got enough buffer there or maybe we ran a company mm-hmm. that was really kind of you know paycheck to paycheck type thing now we're in a position to make some really tough decisions and those decisions have got to be built around what am I going to do now and then how am I going to do that to sustain through this mess and then after the mess what am I going to do immediately or what am I doing now to help me afterwards build that cash to, to bring that up to the 10% 
20 percent or 30 percent based on that risk tolerance level a lot of people thought it was real hard to do for sure and then uh you know now they're now they're a lot of them unfortunately are wishing that they would have figured it out for those that did hats off to them because they did a, a super job for sure I think those benchmarks are really helpful for a lot of the people to kind of just know in the back of their heads, what is it that you're kind of aiming for so that you can really become financially healthy? Yeah, it also really helps with the forecasting too, right? Because it kind of creates that goal. You know, if we, if we say, hey, the goal is we want to get that 20%, here's why, to eliminate risk, and here's all the different risk factors, and here's why they're risky versus company B, you know, a company that has a lot of recurring revenue may not be as risky as one that's billing by the hour, finding a new client all the time. And so that's a different model. And so that we say, hey, this company may not be as risky, or maybe this company is, and it's 20%. We know what the dollar amount is. And then when we do our forecasting, we're aiming towards that dollar amount. So we know, hey, by at the end of next year, if we have this net income based on this revenue count, based on these non-financial metrics that we're looking at to create the uh, forecast, we know that, hey, here's what we have to do to actually get that goal. And it's pretty amazing that when you take a company that year after year after year after year has really never done anything, maybe they've gone flat or maybe they've increased revenue but decreased net income or really just kind of humming along, never really building cash. When you create that goal for them where they can kind of see exactly what they can do to actually make this happen, it's amazing how quickly they get to that goal. And most of the time they'll get to the goal a lot quicker than what they forecast. Yeah, that is really, really awesome. Are there any tools that you would recommend business owners to start using to make sure that they're tracking their spending properly, that they're tracking their cash properly? Yeah, there's quite a few tools out there. It's one of those things that it just depends upon every business owner's basically knowledge of tools. You know, one that we use for our forecasting is Plan Guru. Uh, we've used that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's been a really nice forecasting tool for us. With cash flow, uh, immediate cash flow, we use, you know, Excel spreadsheets, you know, work really well with that, especially for small businesses that don't that don't have a lot of complexity. So that's something that we would just simply cash flow modeling for that. Really, with the communication, like I said, the Sococo, the Slack, the Teams, you know, all the different things that are out there for using that. Other software that we um, we use, it just kind of varies. I, I'd say with the accounting platforms are very agnostic. It, it makes us really no difference. Same thing with the time tracking softwares. We're agnostic to those. We tried to build those into a model because one thing we don't want to do is we – and we started out this way where we were – you know, hey, we can only use one accounting platform. Well, that really eliminated a lot of clients. And so it was one of those deals, well, how can we make it so that we don't eliminate clients? And we tried to make everything agnostic. We did everything through databases and Excel and the different programs I mentioned to kind of work with all these different clients. A lot lot of data dumping, a lot of the reports that the accounting software spits out, we don't even bother using that. We just simply export it out to a database and then bring it into our accounting platform. One thing we use for our forecast or for... um, our dashboarding would be uh, reach reporting. We use that for dashboarding. And then oh, there's a lot of different things that we, we use, I guess. Th- those are probably the main ones. What about for budgeting? Because, of course, um, with during this time, a lot of companies are kind of controlling their spend and decreasing their discretionary spending. Are there any tools that you use to help companies budget better? Yeah, the plan guru or the forecasting tools are our main thing for that, where we create a dynamic forecast based on revenue. And then with the budgeting, that's also part of that tool as well. So we look at the budgeting and the different expense sides and then compare that to what they actually do so that we can see, hey, here's actual versus uh, forecasted amounts or budget amounts. And with that, we can determine pretty quickly on what needs to be exited out, what, what we can actually keep and what needs, you know, what we actually need and what we don't need. Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely the key to have those insights so that you can make the decisions. 
otherwise you're kind of going backwards. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I don't want to keep you for too long. So maybe we can end off the interview with a fun question. Sure. So at Procurify, one of our core values is humility. So when a new employee joins the company, we like to ask them, what is your most embarrassing moment? So I like to also ask you, Jody, if you have an embarrassing moment to share with the audience. Okay. I do have an embarrassing moment. Uh, my embarrassing moment was when I very first started uh, doing public speaking at the different camps. Basically, I was flying to uh, New Orleans where the conference is being held. It was in front of about 30 different individuals, uh, 30 business owners. And when I got there, well, actually, before I got there, my I pulled a muscle in my neck. So my neck was hurting pretty oh. bad. So, yeah, so it was one of those deals that I, I was at the doctor taking on medication, that sort of thing. And I thought, this is not great. And I couldn't even think. The presentation I was supposed to give, I had no idea what I was supposed to give. It was like I had a complete oh mental block. And it was one of those deals like, oh, no. I'm going down to New Orleans. I have no idea what I'm going to speak with. My neck is killing me. And I got, you know, this three-hour flight or whatever it was. And it was the worst flight ever. I get into New Orleans and my luggage doesn't show. Oh, no. So I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. And so here I'm in gym shorts and T-shirt and gym shoes. And, and my neck's killing me. And so they drop me off at the uh, hotel. And I'm like, okay, this is not great. And so basically I go to the um, – there's actually a fashion mall right next to the hotel. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And so I walk over there and again, just walking was so painful. And I, I got there and the first thing I did was I bought a bottle of Aleve. It was one of those deals where I thought, okay, great. Took some Aleve, <laughs> hoping that maybe that helped out a little bit. And of course my phone was dead. So I got, I went, I went and bought a charger. And then uh, mm-hmm. I thought, well, now I got to get some clothes. And right across the hall there was a... Uh, a store called Tommy Bahamas, and everybody's probably heard of that. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, that's not really what I had in mind to wear at my first presentation. But I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go in. And um, I was kind of on a limited budget at the time. And I walked in, and it was like every shirt in there was like $150. I thought, oh no, Uh-oh. my wife is going to kill me. And uh, <laughs> so I bought two shirts, and I thought, this is not going to go well. And I, and there, I had to, of course, I had to have a couple some pants. So I bought a couple pairs of pants there and I thought, okay, so I went up and used the cat. I went up to the cash register and I gave my card and my card got denied. Oh uh, my it was goodness. A, it got for travel, you know, I was outside of Indiana. I was like, oh no. And so I thought, okay, so I got my other card out and it went through no problems. So that perfect. I dodged a bullet there. And so I went next door and there was, it had the shoe store. And so I went and bought a couple shoes, went and paid my card and my and second car got denied. I'm like, oh no. Oh my God. So then I get my debit card out. I'm like, okay, hopefully this goes through. And it did. So I was like, great. And so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, they have a dinner that night. And uh, the dinner was kind of meet and greet with all the different companies that were there. And and so I, I'm at the dinner. First time I met the person you put on the organization and all these people. I'm pretty excited. And I'm like, I'm the finance guy. I'm going to pick up the appetizer. So, I, you know, we had like really cool <laughs> oysters and stuff like that. And and so I get up there and I, at the end of the meal, everything's going well. And I give my card and my last and final card got denied. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh you got to kid me. So I reached, I tucked. Yeah, I, so I looked over the guy that was right next to me <laughs> I go I go hey you know I'm the finance guy I'm giving the talk in the morning <laughs> you might picking up the uh, appetizers in my meal I'll get you in the morning <laughs> and he's like oh no. my goodness he's like no problem I, you know I got you and so here I am the very first time in the, in the morning you know my cards got denied I, I'm you know it was just an embarrassing moment altogether and oh, I first no. thing I did is I went to the ATM I called all the cards and got everyone I'm released because it was all the fraud protection stuff got them all released went to the ATM I gave him like a hundred dollars more and said hey I just keep it <laughs> I'm cool with everything <laughs> Oh and, my uh, goodness. and then I get up and I, and I did, the, I got up in front of them and it's still, I had not figured out what I was really going to talk about. 
And uh, oh. I got in front of them, and I would not recommend this to anybody at all. And I asked the guy, I said, hey, can I get an easel board? And I'm like, he's like, yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to talk them out and really show them how a business actually works. And so I got up there with an easel board with my Hawaiian shirt on and my Hawaiian <laughs> pants, my dockers, you know, as the, uh, the accountant. And um, I get up there and I really kind of break it down from one employee, you know, what, what employee, you know, should make based on utilization, based on the average bill rate and, and kind of backed into it and based it on, hey, here's what 30 people make, you know, in that firm. And so then I kind of broke it down and show them, hey, a firm of 30 should be like, let's say it's a $3 million firm. If you're not that $3 million firm, maybe we need to get there. And then I start talking about, hey, you know, what would just increasing pricing be by $10? How much of that impacts things? So we, on the easel board, we were actually writing it, writing it through and showing how that just by 10 bucks, it could save them like $300,000. And, you know, the eyes were like popping up and it was like, wow, this is like a wow moment for a lot of them. Afterwards, I was still so embarrassed. So the whole time, like, oh, I had to do an easel board. I'm in Hawaiian stuff. And the guy that ran the show comes up. He goes, wow, that was the coolest thing ever. He goes, first of all, you came in this Hawaiian shirt and you (laughs) broke the ice completely because I've never seen an accountant dressed like that before. Really exciting. And then you went and made it so simple for everybody to actually understand finance. And these are non-finance people. He's like, do you mind doing this again next time? I'm like, sure. Wow. And he goes, when is it? And he goes, well, next week it's in Chicago, which I'm like, okay, I can do Chicago. That's pretty close to Indiana. It's only a three hour drive. And uh, so the whole time I'm thinking, wow, that was pretty cool. And so then I, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty confident. I get to Chicago. This time I'm prepared though. I got my Dockers. I've got my logo shirt on with my name on it and all that kind of stuff. I'm ready to go. And I see him in the lobby and he goes, dude, what are you doing? I go, what do you mean? He goes, Where's your Hawaiian shirt? Where's your Hawaiian shirt? <laughs> I'm like, I knew it. I'm like, okay. Guess that's a signature now. Yeah, with the town Bahamas in Chicago. And that's really pretty much all I wear now is Hawaiian shirts. So it's uh, kind of funny. Amazing, so, yeah, completely embarrassing moment for sure. And, and uh, I tried to make the most of it. You know what? Sometimes, pardon my language, but shit happens. And yeah. when that does happen, that's how, you know, you really jumpstart your career or your personal brand, you know? Yep, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Jody, today for uh, sharing your amazing story, by the way. I know you were saying uh, you couldn't think of anything, so I'm glad that um, you got the time to think about it, and it was really worth it. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And I hope you uh, stay safe and healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in on another episode of Spend Culture Stories. If you like this series, please support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe so you can get notified of the newest episodes. We try to post every episode every Wednesday. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a software solution that is reinventing the way organizations spend. Procurify allows an accessible and convenient way to request for purchases, get approval from your manager, while allowing your finance team to get the visibility and control you need on every purchase. Learn more about Procurify at www.procurify.com.